Good morning, Mercy Hill. I'm excited to gather with y'all today, whether it's here in the church building or um, online. I see some familiar faces. I know you. It's good to say, hey, I know you too. Good morning. Welcome. Um, my name's Ben Roberts. I'm one of the partners here, and we're excited. So I do want to say um, happy Father's Day to every, all the guys. Um, I know that Father's Day can come, it can have a mix of feelings with it. So there can be good things about Father's Day. There can be some difficult things about Father's Day too. Oftentimes we've not had perfect earthly fathers, but I just want to remind y'all um, like what it says in Hebrews 12, that we can submit ourselves to the Father of spirits and live. So I want to encourage y'all all to live into the worship service today. Um, and I want to just take a quick moment to invite the Holy Spirit into this place. Holy Spirit, we worship and welcome you in, into this space. Create a place in our hearts for our Father in heaven to work today. There is something that you have for each and every one of us. I thank you for what you've prepared Jared to, saying, uh, to say for us today for, our, for his preaching. And I thank you so much for our, our worship um, leaders and for the hospitality team as well. And I thank you for each person here, Lord, and how you've brought us together in this place to worship you. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with me. And look at the screens. We're going to read the call to worship. Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Let's lift our voices. If you would, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come together to worship you, to lift up our broken hearts to you, God. Um, our Sunday to Saturday, it's filled with uh, imperfection. It's filled with moments where we've got to come to you, God, and just worship you wholeheartedly because, God, we are not enough without you. And so, God, we come to you um, broken and prepared to take your spirit. And so God, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for this building that gives us the opportunity to worship you. But this building is not the church. We together are the church for you, God. We worship you. We thank you for everything you've promised us, everything you've given us, and everything that we will get once we come to you in heaven. Here I pray. Amen. If you would look to the screens with me, Isaiah 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength, my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Okay, well, um, they've asked me to read the story today, and today's story is called Get Ready. And I have a question for y'all. Have you ever... Um, made a mistake, and the mistake was so bad, you're not sure how you could ever fix it. Um, if that describes you, um, think about that while I'm reading you all this. 
Have you ever been to a party that lasted a whole week? I would like to go to that party. How about a sermon that went on all day? Well, that's what happened to God's people after they came home from being slaves. They had forgotten how God wanted them to live or who they were supposed to be. So Ezra and Nehemiah read them the rules God had given Moses. But something odd happened. The more the sermon went on, the sadder they all got. Why? Was the sermon that boring? No, not really. It was strange. You see, as Ezra read the book of rules, it worked like a mirror. It showed them what they were like, and they didn't like what they saw. They saw that they had not been living the way they should. They saw that they were cruel and selfish. We've blown it, they cried. Now God will punish us. They thought they knew what God was going to do, but they didn't. Of course, they might have picked up a clue from Ezra's name, which means help is here. And an even stronger one from Nehemiah's name, because his name means God wipes away our tears. And that, as you'll see, is just exactly what God was getting ready to do. Ezra looked at God's children. Great hot tears were welling up in their eyes and streaming down their cheeks. He stopped his sermon mid-sentence and shut the book. We're having a party, he shouted. And so, that's just what they did. All week long, God wants us to be happy, Ezra said. All day, they listened to stories about the wonderful things God had done for his people, how he made the world, how he gave them a special promise through Abraham, how he rescued them from slavery, how he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live, how he brought them to a special land, how he rescued them no matter what, time after time, over and over again, because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. They remembered how God had always, all through the years, been loving his children, keeping his promise to Abraham, taking care of them, forgiving them, even when they disobeyed, even when they ran away from him, even when they thought, they didn't need him. Then our Father who is in heaven told his children something more. And this is what God is saying to each one of us today. I can't stop loving you. You're my heart's treasure. But I lost you, and now I'm coming back for you. I am like the sun that gently shines on you chasing away darkness and fear and death. You'll be so happy. You'll be like little calves running free in an open field. I'm going to send my messenger, the promised one, the one you've been waiting for, the rescuer. He is coming. So, get ready. It had taken centuries for God's people to be ready, but now the time had almost come for the best part of God's plan. He himself was going to come, not to punish his people, 
but to rescue them. God was getting ready to wipe away every tear from every eye, and the true party was just about to begin. Will you all pray with me? Father, prepare our hearts. Help us to get ready to meet you today. Um, Lord, we know that we can call you Daddy, that you are a true and loving Father to each one of us. And for some of us, Lord, that, that name of all your names is one of the most difficult. I know it's been difficult for me through the years. Um, so, Lord, I, we surrender that to you now. We surrender those difficulties that we've had with our earthly fathers. And perhaps we were fortunate and we've had perfect or very, very close to perfect earthly fathers. Lord, we surrender that as well. Because we know, Lord, there is no one that compares to you. And the love that you have for us is eternal. And the life that you have for us goes far beyond anything we can imagine. So I praise you, Lord, for the mercy that you've shown us through Christ Jesus, your Son. I praise you for your Holy Spirit, which I feel here with us even now. And I pray I lift up Jared as he steps to preach. Teach us more about your Holy Spirit. Teach us more about the love that you have for each one of us. Teach us more about your ways of mercy and the mercy that you've had upon each one of us, the mercy that's brought us here today. And Lord, help that mercy spread out from us and from our lives as we leave this place and go out into the world because it is a hurting world out there, Lord, and people desperately need to know you. All these things I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill, and I um, just want to say thank you guys for allowing me uh, the opportunity uh, just to share with you from God's Word today. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, what I mean by that is Brad and Chris and I have a, we have a schedule, um, a, a teaching schedule. So Brad is the primary teacher. Chris and I typically rotate uh, so when Brad needs a break or he's out of town on vacation, we just have a, a schedule that we keep. And last time um, Brad didn't teach, I taught. And so it was supposed to be Chris's turn, but someone allowed them to schedule vacations the same week. I don't, they didn't get that approved by me, um, but I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm not, schedule-wise, I'm not supposed to be here, but in God's sovereignty, I am supposed to be here. So I'm grateful uh, to be standing in front of you this morning. And I want to echo some of the words that Ben has already said. Uh, happy Father's Day, um, understanding that that, that day, uh, along with Mother's Day, carries a lot of mixed emotions and feelings for a lot of different people. Um, but the, the, the title Father, for me personally, is, is one of the more uh, formative titles that, that I have, and it's one of my greatest joys is to be a father to my children. Um, and so I am... Um, blessed uh, to be here today and to be able to share with you guys from God's Word on Father's Day as a father. Um, somebody once, uh, I heard someone asked once, um, what is the hardest part about being a parent? And they very quickly just answered, oh, the, the children. 
uh, the children. And so that's, that's funny, but it's, it's, it's true and funny at the same time. Um, but being a father is a, is a joy. Um, and so having said that, um, I actually prepared two sermons this morning. Um, so it's kind of like a two-for-one deal, so it's a good Sunday that you're here. Uh, so we've, we've got two sermons this morning because it is Father's Day, and I didn't originally start out planning a sermon based on Father's Day, but I also didn't want to miss the opportunity to address fathers specifically today. And so each sermon is only like 35 minutes long, so we're going to be out of here before noon. That's not true. That, so we're going we're gonna to take 10 minutes at the beginning of this service, at the beginning of the sermon, just to address specifically fathers. And I just want to share from a, a passage that has impacted me personally as a father and as a husband and as a man. Um, and then we're going to jump into uh, spending some time in John chapter 14, talking about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to shift gears a little bit in the middle, but I don't want to miss uh, Father's Day and the opportunity to, to just address fathers. Um, so this is kind of, kind of my gift to fathers, if you want to call it that. So my gift to fathers. I want to share a verse with you that's just helped shape me. And when I say fathers, um, obviously I'm referring to uh, biological fathers, um, along with foster and adoptive fathers, along with men who have played a fatherly role in others' lives, along with uh, spiritual fathers. So Paul routinely used language of, of motherhood and fatherhood when he was referring to his disciples, so people he was discipling. Uh, First Thessalonians, which the Thessalonians were a group of people who were near and dear to Paul's heart. First Thessalonians 2.11, he says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so there are multiple types of fathers. And so if you are a, a Christian who follows Jesus, who desires to make disciples, um, I'm talking to you too this morning. So there are multiple types of fathers and father roles. So when I was in, in college, uh, when I was finishing up college, I was involved in a campus ministry called Campus Outreach. And Campus Outreach offered each summer, it was, called a, it was a summer project. And so they would essentially have you sign up to go on this, this summer long, um, they used to do it, they, well, when I was in school, I don't know what they do now. When I was in school, they would do it at the beach and they just called it um, Beach Project and then uh, they moved it to Orlando, Florida and it was, they called it Orlando Project. And it's a summer long discipleship program. So I, um, when I was in college, I moved to Orlando for the summer, so you're down there for about two months. Uh, so it was me and probably 100 other college students. And it's a summer-long, just kind of intensive discipleship program. And you also work. So I worked at Universal Studios during the day. And then in the evenings, we would have different discipleship-type focused events. And so we would do evangelism training. We'd go out and share our faith with others. We would do word training where we just kind of learn, like, how to study the Bible. Because uh, a lot of people grow up reading the Bible, but they're never really taught specifically what it, how do you really study it, what are different methods for it. Um, and we did a, a whole week uh, where they separated men and women. We did a whole week on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And it was the first time, I'm sure I had read this verse before, but it was the first time that it had kind of been presented to me as a man and that I was, and I was challenged with it. So the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to me through this verse. I'm going to share it with you guys and look at five really quick commands from this verse. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 
verses 13 and 14. And I don't have this on the screen, but it's a, it's a quick verse, um, so I'm, I'm going to read it out loud. It simply says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I'm going to read it one more time because it's quick. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So there's, there's five commandments here that I'm going to challenge specifically the men in the room with. Um, quickly, before we jump into our, our, main, um, our main scripture passage. So five commands. Number one, be watchful. First thing you see in this verse. As men, we have to be aware of what's going on around us. Because the reality is, most men, we have a tendency to fall asleep. Right? We have a tendency to fall asleep. I don't mean literally at nighttime lay down to go to sleep. I mean we are asleep about being aware of the things going on around us. And so we need to know the condition of our life, the condition of our feelings, and particularly the condition of those we are in relationship with. So our families, our spouses, our children, our friends, being aware of the condition of our own heart so that we can be aware of the condition of the hearts around us. Be watchful. Know what's going on in your wife's life, in her heart. Know what's going on in the lives and the hearts of your children. Don't be content to just say, how was your day? And they say, it was good. Like that's, that's not a heart connection. That's not a conversation. That's, that's a default answer. Know their hearts. Be watchful. The second command is stand firm. Paul says stand firm in the faith. Real men know God's word and they spend time with him daily. Real men know God's word and they spend time with him daily because they build their life around God's word. So if you're not regularly experiencing a meaningful, impactful time with God regularly, find someone who is and ask them about it. If you're not regularly spending impactful, meaningful time with God, find someone who is and ask them to show you how. Stand firm in what you believe. Know what you believe and stand firm in it. Men should be confident in their belief and not afraid to stand up for what they know to be true. Thirdly, I love the ESV translation of this. It simply says, act like men. And there's just kind of an understanding or an implication there that the, that the culture would kind of know what that means. It may be translated differently in another version. It may say um, either act courageous or act brave. Uh, but I really like the ESV translation that simply says, act like men. So what is a man? A man is doing what you say you'll do. A man is not making excuses. And the translation there in, in the original Greek, it, it, literally, it literally says, behave like a man. And the context suggests that the idea has to do with courage and bravery and about being responsible for the things that you know you're responsible for and not shying away from that commitment, but leading and providing and protecting Jesus came to this earth as a man. He exemplified what biblical manhood means. And there are some people who, who, try to, 
who tried to take Jesus and turn him into something that, that he wasn't, Jesus was a man's man, right? Like Jesus was, and, and in, the, in the most kind of cultural way that you can kind of think of that, like, like Jesus was manly. So Jesus, if you, if you continue in the story and what we see in Revelation, like Jesus is one day going to come back riding a stallion, holding a sword with his robe dipped in blood, holding an iron rod that he will rule the nations with. Like that, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus was a leader of leaders and he knew what he believed and he stood firm and he was courageous and brave in living out his obedience to the Father. Fourthly, be strong. When we say be strong, we're not talking about bench pressing 300 pounds. We're not talking about being a good athlete or being able to wrestle a bear with your bare hands. Like, like, that's not what we're talking about. Godly men admit their weakness and they are strong in the spirit. They admit their weakness because their strength lies in God's spirit living inside of them. So Jesus doesn't just give us strength. Like Jesus is our strength. And we're going to talk about that this morning. The idea that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and our strength flows from that reality that God's Spirit has made His home inside of our hearts. And so be strong in the Spirit. Real men exercise self-control by being under the Spirit's control. And lastly here, just to finish up, Act out of love. The last part of that verse. Verse 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. And so we need real men, real father figures who are in love with Jesus, who are in love with their wife, who are in love with their kids, who are in love with their church and their family, who are in love with God's word and the things of God. And we too often have men who are just, who are just angry all the time. Like, that's their primary emotion, is just anger. It's like, whatever I'm feeling, it all just comes out as anger. Real men act in love. And so make it a habit to tell those around you that you love them. Tell your wife, tell your children, tell your parents, tell your friends or your neighbors, I don't know, tell people that you love them. And that's, it's Okay. It's, it's okay, men. We can say I love you. Like, that, that's okay. Let all that you do be done in love. Jesus was compassionate and courageous. He was tough and tender. And he knew how to act in love. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is the love chapter, right? Paul says, if I have not love, I am nothing. So act in love. And so that's my, my encouragement to the men and the fathers in this room and the father figures in the room. Um, I encourage you to get to know that verse well. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit. So happy Father's Day to the men in the room. That's my Father's Day gift to you. So, All right, turn to... Um, John chapter 14, verse 15 through 24. John 14, verses 15 through 24. We're going to continue kind of a series that we've been doing this month 
uh, that we've kind of called a, a conversational relationship with God. A conversational relationship with God. And today, we're going to be talking about the, the truth that God lives inside of you, right? So if you've ever been able to talk to someone, it should probably be the one that lives inside of you. So His Spirit is inside of us. We're going to talk some about that this morning. And I want to apologize, first of all, because if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we just spent a good chunk of time walking all the way through the book of John, right? Um, so we've looked at this passage fairly recently. So I, I almost, almost didn't go here this week because of that. Um, but I also remember that, that most of you guys don't really remember much of what we say up here. And so I thought, why not? It's, it's God's Word, and it's, there's benefits here, and God's Spirit can speak to us in a different way than He ever has before. And so we're going to be back in John, uh, looking at verses 14. Uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. And it's kind of a lengthy passage here, but we are, um, we're just going to pick out a couple of things from it and look at a couple of theological truths that we see, and then a couple of applicational truths. And we're going to move through it fairly quickly this morning. So John 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus speaking, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him." Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Pray with me one more time. God, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, it penetrates and pierces our soul and our hearts. And Father, this morning, uh, I, I confess that, um, that, that I'm not a professional teacher or a professional preacher. But God, I do believe that, that your word is powerful and effective. And so God, I pray that this morning I would be used as simply a vessel to convey truth uh, God, if there's anything that, that's in my notes that is not true, God, I pray I would forget it and skip over it. And God, I, I pray that your spirit, God, would move in us, God, today. God, draw our hearts closer to you. God, give us a clearer vision and picture of who you are. God, may we respond accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so God has been speaking to his people throughout all of history, right? Like you, you go back and, and you read God's word, like there's plenty of evidence that God speaks to his people. 
And so you can go back and see Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Jonah and Job and Isaiah and Peter and Paul and Ananias and John. And the list could just keep going. God, throughout history, has been speaking to his people. But somewhere along the way, we started taking people who claim that God speaks to them and, and we started testing them for schizophrenia, right? It's like we, we somehow at the core, like we don't really believe that God speaks anymore. Like, like God spoke and provided the Bible, but like now God is done. Like he's, he's done talking, right? Because we have the Bible. Um, that, that's not in Scripture, and uh, we believe that God continues to desire to, to speak if we would have ears to hear it. But at some point, we stop believing that God speaks to us. At some point, we stopped believing that God speaks to us. I don't know about you guys or, or kind of where you grew up in, in the church world, or maybe you didn't at all. I grew up in the, in the Southern Baptist world, and in the Southern Baptist world, uh, we, are, we are good with God the Father, like, you know, we're all about God the Father, and we are good with Jesus. Um, we're great there. We, we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Like, just, just kind of being honest. Like, that was my experience growing up. Like, it, the Holy Spirit was part of the Trinity, and we knew that, but how the Holy Spirit actually, like, moves and works, and, and like, like, you wouldn't ever pray, like, to the Holy Spirit, and, and you wouldn't ever really acknowledge the Holy Spirit's existence as much as you do just Jesus and the Father. We just were a lot more comfortable there. Um, and so, I, I grew up not really knowing what to do with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, that, that was for the, the, the other church down the road that, you know, they were a little more lively in their worship service. Like, they, you know, they, they had something going on with the Spirit. Like, we were good with God the Father and Jesus the Son. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't know if you guys had a, have, had a similar upbringing to that, um, but it's, it, it was kind of a, a learning curve for me to, to begin to understand this reality and truth that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and that God desires to speak through His Spirit to, to, to me, like individually, that God would speak to me. And so that was a a learning curve for me. And so I want to look at this passage today that talks specifically about how God makes his home inside of us and just pull out a few truths from it. Um, So theological truth number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. And this may be just for me, but like I I had to kind of acknowledge this. Like, okay, like the Holy Spirit is, is a person. Like the Holy Spirit is there, the Holy Spirit is real. I don't mean the Holy Spirit is a human being, but the Holy Spirit is, is as personhood. Like the Holy Spirit is a person. And you, you see it even in this passage. Jesus calls him another helper, right? So verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And so Jesus treats him like, like this individual, like, like this person, another helper to be with you, another comforter. And so when he says another helper and, and another comforter, he means that, hey, like, like me, so Jesus speaking, like, like I have been a helper to you, like I have been a comforter and a counselor to you, the Holy Spirit will come and, and be like I have been with you. And so Jesus says it's, it's even better that the Holy Spirit is with you. 
And so this is kind of in the context that you kind of have to know. So this is post-Last Supper. So, so Jesus had just gotten done telling his disciples that he was, about to, he was about to go away, right? That he was about to die and that he was going to be gone. And so you, you can understand some of the disciples, what they're thinking and feeling right now, having spent three years with Jesus, walking with him, being taught by him, being comforted and counseled by him, that all of a sudden Jesus is saying that he's going to go somewhere else, that, that he's leaving. And so Jesus, sensing the, the anxiety and the fear that would have been dwelling in the hearts of his disciples. And you see it if you go back to the very beginning of chapter 14. He starts by simply saying, let not your hearts be troubled. And so Jesus sensed the, the trouble in their heart. And his response is to share with them what it's going to be like when Jesus is not physically with them anymore, but the Holy Spirit is. He says, let not your hearts be troubled because there's, a, there's another person coming. A counselor like Jesus, a helper like Jesus. And this is significant for us just as it was significant for the disciples because we, we often think, and I have found myself believing this to be true, and I'm, I'm curious, maybe you guys have too. I've, I've said to myself before, I think it would be easier to follow Jesus and just give everything for Jesus if I was able to like actually live like when Jesus was around. Like, and if I was like actually like walking with Jesus and like seeing the miracles, like, like I think that would be easier. But the reality is, I, I, don't, I don't think that that's actually true. Because Jesus said that, hey, when I leave, like something even better is coming. That's the Holy Spirit that's going to live inside of you. And so God the Father and Jesus are going to make their home not, not just next to you. You're not just going to walk beside Jesus. Like Jesus is going to live inside of you. And that's better than walking beside Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is, is a person and an and an individual entity. And I don't know who, who needs to hear that morning, who needs to hear that this morning. Um, I know I grew up, again, with kind of God the Father and Jesus and didn't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus teaches very specifically that the Holy Spirit is a person along with God the Father and Jesus the Son. And so secondly, we see the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God inside you. The manifestation of God inside of you. Think of verses 21 through 23. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. The Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God inside of you. Jesus promises to come and make our home, referring to Jesus and God the Father, with you. God's Spirit dwells inside the hearts of the believer. He is with you all the time. 
And I'm, I'm reminded as I was reading through this of passages like Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives inside of me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Luke 17 verse 20 says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. And so you see in this passage how the, the Holy Spirit coming and moving into your heart is, is literally the kingdom of God inside of you. And so Jesus has to correct the Pharisees, hey, that the kingdom isn't something that you're just going to be able to see with your eyes and say, look, there's the kingdom of God. Like, kingdom's coming. The kingdom will exist inside of you. And that was a, that was a great mystery to the Pharisees, it was a great mystery even to the, to the disciples at this time as Jesus is sharing it. And in many ways, it's still a great mystery even to us. The idea that the kingdom of God could exist inside of you. But we see in this passage that the Holy Spirit moving in is a manifestation of God living in our hearts. Living in us and through us. And so, just a, a couple of quick, just applicational truths this morning. First of all, I want to look at the significance of the Spirit's presence. The significance of the Spirit's presence in the believer. So, in these 10 verses, the, the significance of the Spirit's coming, it's mentioned four times, like in this passage. So, there's, there's four mentions. So, there's an emphasis that Jesus puts on the Father the Son, and the Spirit being, being with and in the disciples. Like he brings it up multiple times as he's speaking to them. And so the point he's making is that Jesus is leaving to go be with the Father, but they should be encouraged because through the Spirit, he will come back to them. Through the Spirit, he will come to them. And so he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, Instead, he's going to live in them through the Spirit. And so you can imagine the disciples trying to, trying to just figure out like this conceptual idea that this physical body, who is the Son of God, yes, but we've been like hanging out with him and, and eating with him and doing whatever else you see people do as you live with them for three years. Um, now, this guy's saying that he's leaving, but he's going to come back to them through the Spirit, like you can kind of understand that the challenges that they're just mentally grappling with as Jesus is sharing these truths to them. And so there's a, a particular significance here that Jesus is, is communicating to them. He's going to live in their hearts by the Spirit. And not only will Jesus be with them, so will the Father. So through the Spirit, the Father and the Son make their home in the believer. And, and this is truly astounding for us, and, and particularly, again, for, for, for the Jewish disciples who had always grown up being around temple worship, 
with this idea that simply being in the presence of God could ultimately kill you, right? And so culturally and just contextually, this idea would have, I mean, it just would have been mind-blowing for them, as it even is for us. But this idea that that, that that curtain that hung in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from all the normal messed up people, that they, that they couldn't even go across, now that same God that they couldn't even be near before, like that, that's how they grew up learning about God's character, that same God was now going to live inside of their hearts. He was just going to move in and, and take residence inside of them. Not just, not just close by to them like Jesus had been, but literally inside of them. And so the, the whole thrust of Jesus' teaching on the Spirit coming is this idea of an intimate experience of communion with God. That's the promise. An intimate experience of communion with God. That God is not just close to you. He is not just near to you in case of emergency. Like God lives inside of you. Like can't be more intimate. God lives inside of you. And that was the idea here, that they would have an experience of intimate communion with God, with, with the Trinity, the, the persons of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. Um, I remember uh, when, when Caitlin and I were engaged um, I remember a few things about that season. So we were engaged uh, for about six months. And that, for those of you who have walked through an engagement before, like you know like some of the struggles that come with an engagement and not necessarily like the wedding planning and all that stuff. But there's, there's like the idea that like we're, we're this close, right? Like we're this close to living together. Like I'm, I'm tired of, of having to go home at night, or I'm tired of, of you like going home at night. I'm tired of not living in the same place and, and driving the same vehicles and, and, and having to pick you up when we go place like, like we're this close. Um, so when we were a few months into our engagement, uh, I think we got married in October, and I think it was that August, if I remember right. Um, we lived in an apartment our first year, and so we, we um, signed the, the lease agreement on our apartment, and I moved in in August um, before the, the wedding happened in October when Caitlin would move in, and I, I distinctly remember that season being just like, it's like I'm where our home is going to be, and so I slept in the guest bedroom because like our, our primary bedroom, like that was our, our marriage bed, and so I slept in the guest bedroom just kind of waiting for the day to come, and so there was this, this intense desire to be and live together because we loved each other, and, and we were just, we were ready for that, and we anticipated that, and I think that that's in some ways just kind of a, a small picture of this idea that God desires to live with us. That intimate experience, because it's true, right? Like, you don't really know somebody until you live with them. Like, anybody ever heard that before? Like, there's a lot of truth to that. You don't, you don't really know somebody until you live with them. Um, that, that desire for a level of intimacy that comes with, with occupying the same space for an extended time. Like, that's God's desire 
and saying, hey, I'm moving into you. Like I'm moving into your heart. And I'm going to set up residence there. And where Jesus has been walking beside you, like now my spirit's going to be in you. And so our, our level of, of connection and our level of communion is going to go even a little bit deeper. It's why Jesus was able to say, like, it's better for me to leave. It's better for me to leave because your experience of communion and relationship with God is going to go even deeper. And secondly, we see the experience of those in whom the Spirit dwells. The experience of those in whom the Spirit dwells. And so there's the, the significance of the Spirit's presence and then the experience of the Spirit's presence. The experience. So when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and they will see and know Him, He means both facts and feelings, right? So there's facts involved that the Holy Spirit, like Jesus is kind of telling them facts. Like, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to set up shop inside your heart. He's going to come be with you. Like, th- like, those are all facts. But there's also the experience of that actually happening in the life of the believer. So there's a, a, a factual-based knowledge. There's also a, a, a sensational knowledge of actually experiencing that level of communion when God moves into your heart. And so I, I, I hesitate a little bit to even speak on the emotional experience of knowing God because our, our culture can kind of take that emotional roller coaster and go some, some different places with it. But our, our emotional experience and sensational experience of knowing God is always, it's always tied and directed by what we know to be true about God that has been revealed by God. And so our emotional experience, it's always kind of funnels through what we know to be true about God that's been revealed by God. And so there's this difference between knowing facts about something and actually experiencing it, right? So has anybody ever been to the ocean? Like you might have stood on, stood on the beach, seen the ocean out in front of you. So I could tell you all about the ocean, right? So let's say you've never been to the ocean. I could give you all kinds of facts about the ocean, um, I have a few facts here that I just looked up because I thought they were interesting. The ocean has an estimated 352 quintillion gallons of water. I didn't even know what a quintillion was. I had to look that up too. Uh, a quintillion is a one with 18 zeros behind it. So there's like million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion. So that, that's the order. 352 quintillion gallons of water. The average depth, so we're talking about an average, the average depth of the ocean is about 2.3 miles. At its deepest, it is roughly seven miles deep. Seven miles of ocean. The world's ocean, it, it covers 71% of the earth's surface. So those, those are all facts. And, and fact, you could read a thousand facts on the ocean. Uh, those are facts about the ocean. However, None of you were moved in your spirit from reading facts, right? Maybe some of you were. I don't know. 
I'm typically not moved in my spirit from reading about facts of something. But when I experience it, so when you go, and I don't know if you remember the first time you ever stood in front of the ocean. Like for some of you, maybe it happens every time. When you go and you stand with your feet in the surf, and the waves are crashing over your legs, and there's just this endless expanse of water. And you just have some tiny grasp of the, of the enormity of it and how small you really are. And the breeze is blowing and the birds are chirping and there's just this experience of it that just learning facts will never convey. And so there's an experience of God's Spirit living inside of you that just learning facts about it, like, like I, I can't really tell you about it. I can tell you about it, but until you experience it, like you, you won't experience it. And so there's an experience for the believer of the Spirit dwelling in them. A sensational knowledge of sensing God's presence. And so when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and we will be with you, and you will know us. He, he isn't saying, hey, you're just going to become like a, a walking theological dictionary who, who knows all these facts about God now because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. No, he, he's saying you're going to have a sensational experience where you, you know that God is in you, not only because of, of the idea and the facts that you know about it, but because, because you're going to feel the Spirit's presence. You're going to know the Spirit's presence. You're going to know facts about His, His justice and His kindness and His mercy and His grace, but those things are going to break your heart when His, when His Spirit is inside of you. And they will stir up affection for God when you hear about His kindness and His mercy. And your heart may tremble when you hear about His power and His justice. You will have an experience sensational experience because God's presence lives inside of you. And for me, I grew up, just, some, just a small portion of my story, I grew up um, going to, I, I grew up going to church. Um, like I was, we were that family like from Nine months before I was born, like I, like, I was always in the church. Like, we, if it was Sunday, if it was Sunday night, if it was, you know, Wednesday night, whatever your church schedule was growing up, like, we were there. Uh, we were always there. Uh, so I grew up learning lots of facts about who God is, whether that was through a Sunday school class and a felt board, or whether it was through a VBS, or whether it was through my parents telling me or what little bits and pieces I learned from the preacher on a Sunday or what I overheard. Like I grew up knowing all of these facts, but I was 11 years old and I did not know Jesus. And I did not have any type of experience with Jesus. But on, on that night when I was 11, someone was up and, and they were, I was at a, a church gathering and someone was sharing the gospel and it was the same gospel that I had heard probably a thousand times before. But on that night, God moved in my heart, and all, it's like all of the truth that I had heard before that all stayed up here, it somehow just exploded in my heart. And all of that truth came to life. And I saw and experienced, for the first time, brokenness over my sin, 
and joy and gratitude realizing that Jesus was the solution. That Jesus was the answer, that He loved me, He desired to know me, that He wanted, as this passage says, to live in my heart and to dwell with me and to be with me as a counselor and a friend. All of that, all of that experience was, was brand new in that moment. And so there's an experiential truth of the Spirit living inside of you. So, so the question for, for a lot of us is, is so, so now what? Like, like, like what, do we, what do we do with this idea of the Spirit just kind of setting up shop inside of us? Like, what if I'm kind of going through the motions and, and I'm not really feeling the experiential truth of, of God's Spirit living inside of me? Because that sounds pretty transforming, right? Like this idea that, that God would move into your heart. Like it, it, it should be transforming. But for many of us, like I said at the beginning, like we've forgotten this truth that God lives inside of us and desires to, to commune with us. That God desires to speak to you, to walk with you, to guide you, to be a counselor and a helper. And because we've forgotten that, we don't ever practice listening to His Spirit. We don't ever practice listening to His Spirit. We, and we become so quick, and I know I'm, I'm talking to myself, we become so quick to write off or just distrust the voice of the Spirit. And so when God does speak, do we really even believe it? I heard someone once say, I was listening to a, a podcast and I paraphrased it, but it simply says, the problem is not that God's not speaking. The problem is not even that we're not hearing. The problem is we don't believe we are hearing God's voice. Um, I, I'm in a, a group text and Richard, I think, shared a quote from Oswald Chambers this week and I thought it, it, it made sense for where we were going this morning and we've got this on the, on the screen. It says, If you debate for even one second when God has spoken, it is all over for you. Never start to say, Well, I wonder if He really did speak to me. Be reckless immediately, totally unrestrained, willing to risk everything by casting your all upon Him. You do not know when His voice will come to you. But whenever the realization of God comes, even in the faintest way imaginable, be determined to recklessly abandon yourself surrendering everything to Him. It is only through the abandonment of yourself and your circumstances that you will recognize Him. You will only recognize His voice more clearly through recklessness, being willing to risk it all. And so a question for us this morning as we close is, are you willing to risk it all? In response to God's voice, are you willing to risk it all? In our missional community last, last week, we talked about a couple of hard teachings of Jesus. If you remember the story of the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and he said, what do I have to do? And uh, Jesus said, love the Lord your God, keep his commandments. The rich young ruler said, I've done all these things. And Jesus then says, knowing his heart, Jesus says, well, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Come follow me. And the Bible says that that man went away sad because he had great wealth. There's another passage where, where Jesus is calling people to follow him and, and people are saying, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but um, my dad died and I need to go back and bury him. And, and Jesus says some hard truths. He says, 
hey, leave the dead to bury their own dead and you come follow me. And that's really hard, but the idea here is that if, if there's anything in your life that you put as a greater value than following Jesus, then you're not really following Jesus. Because Jesus says, come follow me. Period. Come follow me. And so where, where, I, where I lead, like you go. This idea of reckless abandonment to following Jesus wherever he leads as his spirit speaks. Are you listening to the spirit? Prepared to follow him wherever he leads. And pray. Ask God. Say, God, give me ears to hear. Jesus continually said that. He said, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. God, give us ears to hear that we may hear from your spirit. That we may hear from your spirit. We're going to share communion together this morning. There's, there's baskets at the end of your rows, and so I'm going to invite you guys to, to grab those baskets and pass them down. Um, I actually didn't grab one. I'm going to steal one too. Um, there's, a, there's little communion cups at the end of your rows, so I encourage you guys, go ahead and grab one of those. Um, so we're going to share communion together this morning. As, as a parent of four young kids, I am, I'm frequently asked the question, why? Um, so like Caitlin and I, we hear that question a lot. Um, you know, my, my youngest is two, and if you've ever raised a two-year-old, uh, you know like the, the never-ending like why question. Like they say why, and like you give an answer, and there's all like why. Some, somehow it always continues to, to fit. <laughs> um, so I, I hear that question, why, a lot. Um, and I wish I could say I, I always answer patiently, uh, but it, sometimes you, you lose your patience and, and you end with like, it's just because, it's just what we do. Like, this is what we do. That's, that's why we're doing it. It's just what we do. Um, and, and sometimes I, I think that with communion, as the church, we can kind of fall into that same line of thinking, right? It's Sunday, the sermon's coming to an end, we share communion, we sing a song, then we're done. Like, it's just kind of what we do. Um, but I want to remind us this morning of the importance of why we take communion and, and the danger of it falling into this idea of we, of we do it just because it's what we do. Because the reality is it, it symbolizes God's guarantee and promise to us. So it's one of the sacraments that, that Jesus instituted along with baptism, this idea of the Lord's Supper, um, where we take of his body and we, and we drink of his blood. And outside of the church, like that language sounds really weird, right? Like if you didn't grow up at the church and you come to church one day and they start talking about eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood, like you might just turn around and walk out. But, but the, rea the reality is like Jesus' body was broken for us. And when he shared the Last Supper with his disciples, he said, hey, eat this. When you, when you eat this, remember me. Do this in remembrance of my body that was broken for you. And so Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it. Again, as a, as a symbol of the body that was broken for us. And he said, as you take this, remember my body. And Jesus took, he took the wine or, the, or the, the juice that we have in our hand and he reminded his followers, when you take this, don't, don't do it because we always do it. 
Don't do it because it's the end of the service and this is what we do on Sundays. When you take this, remember my blood that was poured out for you. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that made it possible that God could live inside of us. It made it possible that the, in, in the, the temple, the curtain tore. And where we were separated from God, we now have access to God. And not only access to God, but God moves in to our life and heart. Take this in remembrance of me. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and invite you guys to, to pray with me as we finish up. God, we are grateful for the truths of your word. God, grateful. God, even for the, the hard truths um, that, that God are, are difficult to, to truly comprehend. Like, God, this, this idea that God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God, make their home inside of us. God, that, it's, it's hard in our, in, our, in our flesh and in our human condition, God, to truly understand the impact of what that means. But God, I'm grateful that your spirit does exist inside of us. God, we have the experiential truth of knowing what that means, even if it's difficult to, to explain to someone. So, Father, that God, you would continue to be that counselor, God, that friend who walks with us, God, that voice. God, we desire to hear from you. God, give us ears to hear. God, help us to hear your voice. And God, more than hearing it, God, help us live with reckless abandonment to your voice. And God, if you say go, may we go. And if you say stay, may we stay. And if you say serve, may we serve. And if you say rest, may we rest. God, help us to live on a day-to-day -day basis, God, just walking with you. God, we're thankful for the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that God made this, this idea even possible. So, Father, thank you for our time this morning. And, God, we pray that your spirit would move inside of us. God, stir up affection, God, for you. God, may we desire you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As we close, I just want to say thank you to the worship team and thank you for the folks upstairs running sound. Um, uh, Richard, and I feel like the Spirit also challenged me in this regard. Um, the big question I think that um, Jared asked that really hit me like a ton of bricks is, in what ways is God asking me to recklessly abandon myself in pursuit of him? And I think he's asking each one of us that today. So um, think about that with me for just a minute while I'm doing the benediction. And, I, and don't, let God, don't let go of God on this one, right? I really hold on to that one. Don't, don't let go of God until he blesses you on this. Don't let it pass you by. Um, ask him, what is it that you want me to recklessly abandon in order to pursue you, in order to know your Holy Spirit, in order for that spirit to enter more deeply into my heart? If, it, if, you, if you find it, 
Great. Share it with me or Richard, raise your hand. Richard would love to hear. Or my wife, Jessica, or, or Tammy, I'm sure would love to hear. Um, if you don't today, hold on to it and take it into your, your, your missional community or take it back into the church as you meet with people through the week. Our benediction comes from Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Y'all go in peace. <laughs>